Well, last week we saw um, a good number of things. We saw the rise of Greece. We saw the division of Alexander the Great's empire into four parts. And then we saw the rise of a particular Seleucid king named Antiochus IV. His persecution of the Jews was uh, horrible, horrible. He tried to destroy all worship of Yahweh. Then we transition to his even greater and later counterpart, the end times Antichrist. And we saw that he will win many, many military victories. He'll set up camp in Israel and he will be defeated in Israel, particularly in the, in the valley of Megiddo. In chapter 12, verse 1, we see this time of great tribulation from the spiritual side of things. And then in the middle of all this amazing, colossal, end-time stuff, we see again the priority of evangelism and disciple-making. I really want you to see that the most important thing that we are to do, even in the light of the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, the end of the world as we know it, is to carry out the Great Commission. Now, if you take this from Daniel along with the fact that the Great Commission was the last thing that Jesus gave to us, the last command that he gave to his followers before he left this earth, I think you will get the supreme importance of it. Now, you may wonder, why does the preacher keep hammering on this? It's because the Bible keeps hammering on this. Let's read Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt." And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Is that the most important goal in your life? I really hope that it is. If it is, then let your life's work be to turn many to righteousness. Now, you may say, well, it's too late. Uh, I'm old, and that has not been my life mission. Well, it's not too late to use however much time that you have left to turn many to righteousness. Another way to say turn many to righteousness is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, where Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we've seen some pretty amazing visions of Jesus in Daniel. We have seen him portrayed in a way that we're not used to seeing him in the Gospels. In the Gospels, he's a regular old guy. He's walking around uh, with dust on his feet and, uh, you know, he's... There's nothing special about him to make you see him and realize, oh, this is the Son of God. Uh, minus that time of the transfiguration, there's nothing about him that appears amazing. 
But when we see him in the book of Daniel and we see him in the book of Revelation, we get a little better, more full picture of who Jesus is. So hopefully after seeing these visions, we can appreciate a little more when Jesus says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, turning people to righteousness, or we could say evangelism and discipleship, is your main calling, regardless of what you do to earn an income. I really, really wish I could make believers um, believe that. You know, if, uh, if I found an old lamp and I rubbed on it and a genie came out and said, you have three wishes, one of them would be that I could actually make believers understand that their primary calling is to turn many to righteousness, regardless of how they make a paycheck. It is the only thing that's going to matter a hundred years from now. Um, do you think, <laughs> well, I was talking with my daughters last night about this sermon and they said, man, this part's really uplifting, but I'm just going to tell you how it is. Do you think you will have a lasting legacy in this world? You won't. The best you can hope for is that a few times, a few people will tell you they have appreciation for you. Then you die, then you get replaced, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how that is. I hope that the Lord gives me years to minister here. I hope that we get that building built down there and I get to enjoy being the pastor for, for years. But I could die tomorrow and, and it's, it's not a lack of appreciation toward me, but what would you do? You'd call another pastor, right? <laughs> Be like, okay, let's bury that dude and call the next. Um, that's just how it works. Even if, even if we are loved and appreciated, we got to be replaced and life goes on. You know, your kids and maybe your grandkids will miss you, but I don't even know the name of any of my great-grandparents. When we're gone, we're gone, out of sight, out of mind. If you want a lasting legacy, there's only one way to have it, and that is through evangelism and discipleship. You might think that if you do something as colossal as found the freest and most prosperous nation on the planet, everybody will appreciate you for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Well, nope. The folks are tearing down statues of George Washington and defacing them right now. Now, why is that? It's because people are fickle and stupid. Now, just being honest, okay? Uh, there's only one way to have a lasting and meaningful legacy and that is through evangelism and discipleship. You know, we need to read Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes tells us in a, in, a, in a more eloquent way than I am able to that all earthly pursuits are vanity. And this was coming from King Solomon, who had a much greater legacy, earthly legacy, than you or I ever would. So that's what I mean when I say we must focus our time and our energy and our effort and our money into the eternal kingdom rather than the earthly kingdom. Now that's kind of radical, isn't it? Yes, it is. Have the courage to embrace it. <laughs> All right. Cultural Christianity is not going to tell you this. American Christianity, for the most part, is not going to tell you this because it's cultural Christianity. We come to God and we make him one of the priorities on our list of priorities, right? And then we give him some attention and we expect some blessing in return. That's the typical American Christianity. Whereas biblical Christianity calls you to abandon everything else and pursue the kingdom above all else. 
I heard a great analogy this week. J.D. Greer said, hey, making God one of your priorities is kind of like going to my wife and saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to stay here most of the time, probably four out of seven days. I'm going to be here and I'm going to sleep with you. Um, so you're at the top of my list. Okay, now these other women that I see during the week, uh, I'm going to give you priority. He said, no, 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 that doesn't work. God is the only one on that list. And so we need to understand, guys, that pursuing the kingdom of God is not one among a lot of other things that we try to prioritize and maybe even do prioritize on Sunday. It is the priority of our life. I have two questions for you. The first one is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because in in, uh, Daniel 12, verse 1, it says, There'll be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Are you in that book? You need to be. If you say, I'm not sure then don't leave here unsure. But the next question is, what are you doing to get other people's name in the book? Now, we are all given different talents and gifts, and we're all at different levels of spiritual maturity, and I understand that. What we're doing does not have to all look exactly the same. The only absolutely unacceptable answer to my question of what are you doing to get other people's name in that book The only absolutely wrong answer is nothing. And there are some other answers that aren't explicitly nothing, but really they amount to nothing. Um, I I had a good friend in high school, and he was a great guy. He's still a great guy. I love the fellow. But uh, I was getting into evangelism explosion at Bellevue, and I was learning the importance of sharing my faith. You see, Dr. Rogers didn't pull any punches. He said, if you aren't sharing your faith you probably need someone to share their faith with you. And I said, oh, man, (laughs) okay. So I've got to be sharing my faith. Um, I don't know how to do that. So I went and joined this class where they would instruct you how to share your faith, and it was called Evangelism Explosion. And I learned to share my faith, and I got excited about it, and I tried to get my friends to do it with me. And this one friend told me, well, I appreciate your fervor, but I am going to live my life in such a way that people see me and come to Christ. And uh, not being the most sensitive fella, I said, dude, are you telling me seriously that that people are just going to come up to you and they're going to go, man, you are so awesome and so godly that I just need to follow Jesus? Because that has never happened to me. I don't know about you. Uh, Evangelism is not merely living right. You need to live right in order to give credibility to your witness, right? But just living for the Lord is not going to have people coming up to you and saying, man, tell me how I can be as awesome as you are. That has never worked for me. So don't do nothing and don't do the same thing as nothing. But let me tell you what some good answers are. Some good answers are I am praying for specific lost people. That is great. Pray for lost people. But then let me urge you to take the gospel to them. Or take me, I'll tell them the gospel, and I'll borrow your credibility. You see, what your neighbor who loves you, he he won't listen to me, but he might listen to you. But if you say, hey, this is my pastor, and he has something that I really want him to tell you, would you spend a few minutes with us and listen? 
then I could borrow your credibility and I could share it with him, right? So pray for somebody. Go witness to him yourself. That's awesome. But if you need help, man, I am here to help. Sacrificially supporting the work of the church is a great way to advance the kingdom. And that's actually really doing something to get other people's names in that book. You know, Jesus said, where your, mo- where your money is, there your heart will be also. You can invite people to come to church with you. Uh, you can say, hey, I'm witnessing to lost people. That's wonderful. Do that. You can say, I'm discipling a fellow believer. That's a great thing. You can say, I'm discipling my children and my grandchildren. Well, that's certainly essential and something that we should be doing. But let me tell you, other good works are not evangelism. Um, if, if you were to come up to me and say, hey, brother, I'm going to give you a $100 gift certificate to, to Longhorn because I want you to go eat a steak because I appreciate and love you. I would, that would be very nice, unless a couple of minutes earlier I had grabbed my chest and staggered around and fallen on the ground. And then you come up to me and say, hey, brother, I'm going to give you this $100 gift certificate to Longhorn. That's not what I need right then, right? <laughs> I need you to start doing chest compressions and breathing into my mouth, right? Now, see, normally I would not appreciate it if Jimmy Knight came and, and got a lip lock on me and started blowing in my mouth, right? But if I had just collapsed from a heart attack and then I woke up later and found out about it and, and hopefully had no memory of it, I would be really grateful, <laughs> Because what I need when I'm dead is life, right? And so good works in Jesus' name are wonderful. And they can give credibility to your witness. But guys, what we do so many times is come short of giving them the thing they really need, which is life. Now, we can't individually in our own power give them life, but we can give the message of life, right? Um. At a previous church, we would gather, we would do stuff to make us feel good about doing stuff. Uh, one time we had this apartment complex right by us and we invited them over to give them Coke and, and hot dogs and we grilled out and all that. And that was great. And they came and ate our food and then they went home and we never saw them again. You know what we didn't do? We didn't share the message of the gospel, you know? So why in the world would you give something to somebody that, that, yeah, it's nice, but it's not what they really need. If the guy's laying there dead, he can't use the gift certificate, right? Because the first thing he needs is life. We've got to give him the message of life. Next thing I want us to see is that God will humble Israel in order to save many. Now, when you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus had a very different response to people based on their posture toward him when they came to him. Those who came in humility were shown grace every time. Those who came to him in pride and self-justification were turned away. So let's see how God is going to humble Israel for their own sake. In verses 4 through 7, it says, But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? 
And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it should be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. The shattering of the power of the holy people. For Israel to come to Christ, they will first need to be broken. For you, or me, or your neighbor to come to Christ, we first need to be broken. The law will do that for us. The law of God is is not only a list of rules, it's it's a revelation of the character of God by the things that he says are good and the things that he says are bad. When we see how miserably we fail to keep the law, that should produce humility and brokenness in us rather than prideful self-justification. That's why many times when I witness, I will talk to people about the commandments. I'll say, hey, have you ever told a lie? And they'll say, yeah. And we'll go through the Ten Commandments because I want them to see that in comparison to the law of God, they have broken the law. They've broken all the laws. The Bible says if you've transgressed in one, you've transgressed in them all. And so I I like to show people that we have a problem, (laughs) that we cannot measure up to God's standard. And that God will often use the law to break our pride. Have you taken a good honest look at yourself in the light of God's law? If so, have you realized your sin and your need for a Savior? I know almost all of you or maybe all of you are going, yeah, I have. Well, if you have, then let me tell you, you can show that to other people because you've already seen it. So you can show it to them. You know, this is Independence Day weekend. And as we talked about earlier, unfortunately, we as a country have declared our independence from God. You know, the Supreme Court can declare that abortion is legal. That doesn't mean that God agrees. The Supreme Court can declare that same-sex marriage is legal. But the supreme judge of the universe will not be swayed by their decision. Our culture can decide that sex before marriage or even outside of marriage is totally normal and moral even if it's consensual. The truth is not affected though by popular opinion. So we who know our God must tell the truth about sin even if it gets us in trouble. In spite of the world telling people that sin is not actually sin, when you confront people with the law of God, many times God will still break their their pride and will still show them the truth of the fact that, yes, they have transgressed the law. And when God does that, we need to be ready to show them the good news of the gospel. So I said that God will humble Israel to save many. And that humbling is going to be unimaginably painful. You know, he said there's going to be trouble like there has never been from the time there was a nation. Verse 1 told us that. And it makes you wonder if God will do that to Israel for their own good, his chosen and beloved people, what is he going to do to America? When we offered our prayers for national repentance, let me remind you again, that was not a one-time thing. That was something that we need to be doing regularly 
pray and intercede for this country. Stand in the gap. We read the passage from which that comes. And it says God's getting ready to destroy this land and he's looking for somebody to intercede, somebody to stand in the gap and he couldn't find anybody. Let's be that person for our country. And let's keep repenting on behalf of our nation. Now we need to pray nationally and and even globally, but we need to work in and through your church and with your friends and neighbors to make them disciples. Now, if you want to go on a mission trip and work nationally and internationally, that's great. But don't forget to work in your backyard, too. I know that being a witness and a disciple maker is extremely challenging in, in this uh, pandemic, but this too shall pass. Um, I make it I try to make it a habit of self-discipline and to keep myself on track to present the gospel to some lost person at least one time a week. Uh, I've not been able to do that recently because I don't have I can't talk to anybody. <laughs> I can't go knock on anybody's door. Uh, I, normally I wouldn't do cold call evangelism, but if I hadn't gotten to speak to anybody, I would go and I'd just knock on some doors and talk to people. We can't do that now. And people aren't coming in to, to ask the church for help anymore, really. And people aren't uh, coming in to try to sell you things. So I know that it can be challenging. But eventually, I think, this too will pass. Be ready when it does. And even now, don't try to limit God. I mean, pray for opportunities. He may bring those opportunities to you. Pray for and take opportunities that do come your way. And that's part of my problem is sometimes I'll pray for an opportunity and then I'll be too stupid to realize the opportunity when it comes to me, right? So don't be like that. Have your antenna up and be ready when the Lord presents you an opportunity to share your faith. I want us to see that the details of prophecies can only be seen in hindsight. You know, we've seen specific ways that many of the prophecies in Daniel have played out. We can go back and put names and dates with them. I may have done too much of that because occasionally I'll look out and I'll see some glazed over people, right, when I'm talking about these details. But we can see all the details in hindsight. Um, But look with me in verses 8 through 10. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So Daniel says, Wait a minute, I don't understand all the details. There's some stuff I'm missing here. And really, the Lord tells him, um, not in a rebuking kind of way, but says, Look, you've, you've gotten all the details you're going to get for now. These prophecies are for the time of the end. The wicked will not get it. Uh, They don't know or care about these prophecies, but the wise will. Now, how do you become one of the wise? You read your Bible. (laughs) I know you say, you tell me to read my Bible every week. Yes, and I'm going to keep on because you really need to read it. Systematically read the whole thing. Obey what you understand, then read it again, study it, and obey it more. I'm here to help you understand it. That's part of my job, and and it's a part of my job that I love. I would be delighted for you to ask me questions. If I don't know, I'll try to find out. And then if nobody knows, I'll say, well, 
Nobody knows, and I can't find the answer. Um, we're going to come across a couple of verses like that here in a few minutes. Let's be ready to live faithfully, though, because in the last days, the ones who understand are the ones who have read their Bibles. And these are the last days. You know that, right? I'm not saying that in some prophetic way that I think the, the Antichrist is alive and well and going to show up on the scene next year. I'm saying it in the fact that the, the writers of the New Testament call this the end of the age. This is the end times, and it has been since the writers of the New Testament said that it was. So we need to be ready. We need to be knowledgeable. We need to be saturated in Scripture so that when things come to pass that are prophesied, we'll be able to see them and recognize them and respond to them. The next thing I want us to see is that it will be worth it all. Daniel 12, 11 through 13 says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Now, I know what verse 13 means. I have no idea what the other two mean. Um, go your way until the end, and you shall rest. Um, you know, when the believer passes away, they enter into a rest in the presence of the Lord. But three and a half years is 1,260 days. And this verse 11 says, there shall be 1,290 days. What's that extra month? I have no idea. Uh, I read a whole bunch of people who wrote commentaries on this, and they don't know either. And then on top of that extra month, it says, blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. So there's another 45 days stuck on the 1,290 days. What is that about? Not a clue. No commentator that I read has a clue either. They basically suggest that that will be a time of transition um, as the new righteous kingdom is being set up and inaugurated. So that sounds as good to me as anything else. I don't know, but I do know what you have to look forward to in Christ, and that's what that last verse is talking about. Now, after this life, there is rest, and then there is resurrection and reigning with our Lord Jesus. You know, when a Christian dies, he doesn't get wings. He doesn't become an angel. He never will get wings. But you know what else? He doesn't even get a body. But he is at rest in the presence of the Lord. After Christ returns there will be the resurrection and we'll have glorified bodies that are built for eternity. And we won't need any trifocals or anything else. As we read earlier, some will rise to everlasting life, but others will rise to everlasting shame and contempt. I want you to see here the similarity, and that is that they are both everlasting. Not everyone is going to heaven. Now, when, uh, when I go to a funeral... I will hear a well-meaning preacher tell me that this guy wasn't really into church. He didn't, uh, you know, he, he didn't go to church. He was involved in uh, these other civic activities, but now he's going to heaven. And I'll hear that, and I'll go, hmm, I understand that might be well-intentioned toward the family, but lost people don't magically become saved when they die, right? <laughs> Not everybody is going to heaven. The elect will be saved. Does that word scare you? I hope it doesn't, because the Bible teaches it. 
If you're going to study the Bible, we cannot be afraid of that word. And I know a, a lot of Southern Baptists are. Don't be afraid of that word. And don't be afraid of that teaching. Titus 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords to godliness. So Paul says to Titus, hey, I'm writing this to the elect. Romans 8.33 says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So if you don't want charges to be brought against you, you want to be one of the elect. It's not a bad word. First Peter 1.1, Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So some folks are elect. Are you among the elect is the question that you need to answer. I have a foolproof test for you. If you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, you are elect. If you have not, then I don't know if you're elect or not. <laughs> because we don't know yet. We're going to wait and see and we're going to pray for you. Now we have to wait and see if the people who don't trust Christ eventually do come to Christ and then we'll know if they're elect. Now what if you repent of your sins and trust Jesus, but you're not among the elect. Well, that is like saying, what if a bachelor is married? It's just nonsense. There's no such thing, right? So you cannot be one who desires to be saved. You want to repent. As a matter of fact, you do repent, and you place your faith in Christ, but somehow you didn't win the lottery and become the elect. That is not reality. That is a strange doctrine that is not biblical. So if you want to be saved, you can be saved. Now the next question is, are your friends, neighbors, family members, co-workers, and others with whom you have a relationship, are they elect? Well, I don't know. You don't know. Share the gospel with them and see what happens. If they repent and place their faith in Jesus, then they indeed are among the elect. If they don't, then pray for them and try again because they may be among the elect. We don't know. But that gives us a lot of hope in our witnessing. We understand that there are people who God intends to save and he will save and he may save through you if you'll be obedient and share the gospel. Isn't that a hopeful thing? Isn't that a good thing? They're out there. We got to go witness to them. Now, what are some of the things we've learned in our study of the book of Daniel? One thing is that sometimes God will put us in uncomfortable places and situations in order to do his work. You know, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were taken out of their land, were taken in captivity to Babylon through no fault of their own, through no rebellion of their own, through no sin of their own. They were placed in a really difficult situation. God did that on purpose because he wanted to use them as his witnesses in that uncomfortable situation. The second thing is when you're seeking God's will. Now we talked about this uh, for a whole Sunday during our study. We need to pray. And for the sake of memory, we alliterated. We need to ponder. We need to think. A lot of Christians seem to think that it's unspiritual to use our brains. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. We need to pray, then we need to think. We need to use the mind that the Lord has given us. 
We need to pursue wise counsel. God has given us other people in the body of Christ who are wise and who are biblically literate and who understand the right way to think. They've had their minds renewed. And so we need to depend on them. We need to pursue godly, wise counsel. We need to praise, praise the Lord, because we know that he's got this. Whatever this is, he's got this. And then we need to proceed in faith. You know, we talked about how Daniel was faced with a situation where the king said, hey, tell me the dream that I had, and then tell me the interpretation of the dream that I had. And so when his wise guys came to him and they said, we can't do that. Nobody can do that. Only God can do that. He said, okay, I'm going to tear all of you limb from limb and, and knock down your houses. Okay. Daniel heard about this and he was one of the wise men. And so were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, I, I've, I've got to do something about this. So he prayed about it. And then he went and he said, hey, make an appointment with the king and I'm going to come tell him his dream. And so he made an appointment not having heard the dream yet, not having God answered his prayer yet, but he made that appointment, right? Because he knew, hey, I'm, I'm backed into a corner and there's nothing else I can do. I'm about to jump off this cliff here and I think God's going to catch me. And he did. He proceeded in faith because that was the option left to him. Number three, never compromise or bow down to the idols of this world. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told, when you hear this orchestra come to play, you bow down and you worship this idol. They said, not going to do it. And so the king heard about that, and he got him in there, and he said, we're going to strike up the band again, because apparently you didn't understand. You're either going to be killed, or you're going to bow down. And they said, well, don't bother the conductor there, because we're not going to do it, <laughs> no matter what. God will save us, and if he doesn't, still not going to bow down. So we need to have the courage like they do to not bow down to the idols of this world. Um, you, <laughs> we see politicians running over each other in order to bow down more quickly than the next guy, right? We can't do that. God is completely sovereign over absolutely everything in the universe at every second. That's the fourth thing that we learn. Absolute sovereignty. Number five, God will punish a nation whose sins demand it, even using another more evil nation to accomplish his will. And the application is there. Pray, pray, pray for America. Number six, we can and must repent on behalf of our nation. Number seven, we must focus our time, talent, and treasure on the one everlasting kingdom and not be caught up in the trappings of this world till we get distracted and can't remain on purpose. Number eight, God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. We often have not because we ask not. Prayer does things that we can't see, that we won't know about. We may never know, and we certainly won't know until eternity, what things have been accomplished by prayer. Now, God does what he wants to do, but he uses the prayers of his saints to accomplish it. So let's be a people of prayer. And number nine, finally, the bottom line, the bottom line is that we need to turn many to righteousness. Or in other words, obey the Great Commission. Folks, I know that sometimes when a preacher says, hey, you need to witness, you need to share your faith, um, people say, well... Okay, that's cool for you because you got time. 
Look, when I was an adult out of college, I was working in commission sales. And you know what happens when you work in commission sales? You're either working or you're not making money. <laughs> and so I would go home and I would think I'd feel guilty because I wasn't working, because I wasn't making money to provide for my family. And then when I was working, I'd feel guilty that I'd never spend any time with my little children, right? So I understand. I have lived in the real world, not being uh, in the office where I have the luxury of praying and studying my Bible. I understand. But I also understand that when Dr. Rogers looked at me as a high school boy and said, if you're not sharing your faith, it may be because you don't have any, then that scared me. And I said, I don't, I don't, want, to be, I don't want that to be true. I want to be somebody who makes a difference in other people's eternity. And so I learned to share my faith. So let me encourage you. I understand having a family, having a job. I get it. But I also know that we need to prioritize the things of God. It's hard to do, but it's worth doing. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the study of Daniel. Lord, I have, I've learned a lot of stuff. And I, I was so blessed this week to, at the very end of it, say, hey, th- there are people that are going to be raised to eternal life. And there are going to be people who are raised to eternal shame. And it depends on those whose name is in the book. If their name is in the book, they're, they're going to be uh, bound for eternal glory. And if their name is not, then shame and reproach. And then, Father, just a, a little, a couple of verses later, uh, it says that those who will shine like the stars uh, are, are those who turn many to righteousness. Lord, I want it to be the purpose of our church. I want it to be the purpose of my life. But I want it to be the purpose of each life in here that we are turning people to righteousness. And, Lord, I freely admitted that I don't even know what that looks like in the middle of the pandemic because I'm not able to to share my faith nearly as often as I would like to. But Lord, we can, um, we can inspire people to come to church. We can invite them. We can go pick them up. We can tell them we'll take them to lunch afterward. Um, we, can, we can work to uh, spread the work of the church and the message of the church. So Father, I pray that you'd give us individual opportunities. I pray that you would give us the opportunity to work through the body as a whole Lord, I understand that there are folks who, um, who will say, well, I, I do want to witness to my neighbor, but I'm scared I'm going to say something wrong. Father, I think, I think there's way too much of that. I, I think they wouldn't say anything wrong and they'd be okay. Uh, but Father, I understand that hesitancy. But Lord, have them pray for their neighbor. And then, Lord, if they want backup, they can, they can give me a call and I'll go with them. Um, but Father, I can't save anybody. I, I don't say everything right. I just witness of you and you're the one that does the saving. So Father, help us see that. And then Lord, help us understand that there are people out there who, um, who will recognize, will hear your voice. And so Father, we need to take the message to them because they will respond. Father, there are going to be folks that don't. And we need to be persistent. We need to pray for them and we need to return to them. Lord, we don't always uh, understand the gospel in its entirety and you don't always open our eyes and, and give us that new heart the very first time we hear truth. So Father, help us be persistent. Help us to go back and ask them again to continue to pray for them. 
Father, I pray that you would bless our efforts going south. Father, I pray that you would get us um, a building down there. And, and we need that and want that. But then so much more, Father, we pray that you will um, allow us to get into those communities. Lord, for us to witness to people, for us to show people that if they'll come to uh, our church and join with us, then they'll be in a body of believers rowing the same direction and working for the same goal, which is to turn many to righteousness. Lord, we do all these things and make all these efforts for your glory and for the spread of your kingdom. Father, help us keep that in the absolute prime first place in our lives. Lord, teach us these things, not just in our head, but in our heart, that we might obey them and we might live for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.